Welcome to Dev Bootcamp Live, the podcast where we help you level up so you become the best software engineer on your team, or we help you level up so you land your first engineering job. Uh, this is Juan Di Sarazzo. And this is Jared Potter. Okay, and today Jared uh, is, has decided on the topic. So Jared, please tell us what, what are we going to discuss? Today, we're going to be talking about the big do's and the big do nots of CSS. A lot of students that I've had, and I'm sure along with you, Juan, have struggled with CSS. CSS isn't always the most intuitive thing when you're beginning to learn it. And even engineers who have been, you know, developing for a long time, a lot of them haven't spent the time to understand CSS to leverage it correctly. Oftentimes, CSS is treated as a second-class citizen in web development. So we're going to dive into just a few different, again, do's and don'ts with CSS. Okay, no, that's perfect. Uh, awesome. Yeah, so uh, let's just start by defining like the CSS thing, right? Like what, what is CSS? Let's just start there. So CSS stands for Cascading Style Sheets, and they are used for styling your web page, right? Your HTML creates the structure of the page and the functionality of the page to a certain extent. And then CSS comes in and does all sorts of styling from colors to fonts to margins, padding, you know, widths and heights, all that good stuff. Okay, no, that's good. So now you're talking about two things. One thing that I would like to cover, which is like you're talking about this concept of cascading, right? So uh, let's, let's elaborate on, the, on that. Cascading just means for anybody listening out there, it's just that you have a, um, like think about like of it as a hierarchy, right? The first thing that loads, right? It will be like, uh, it will have lower priority versus the, the thing that loads last. So once you, you load one of your style files, for example, or you put the styles there and they're loaded last, they're going to overwrite or they're going to enhance the previous rules that, that you had uh, in your styles. Uh, the browser has defaults. So there's defaults styles for the browser. So usually you will overwrite those two. And that's why it's like cascading. So you can have theming, for example, you can have base styles and then you cascade, you have another style that you load on and specific page and that will override those rules or enhance them. And, and, and there's a lot of things that we're going to branch out and talk about today, but um, uh, something that I'd like to mention about uh, before we jump in, into the best practices and do's and don'ts uh, is that uh, to understand the, the, the CSS uh, structure, right? So CSS is a rule-based language, right? Uh, it has syntax where we have uh, rules and these rules are key and values, key and value pairs. The keys, right? Uh, they uh, are a property, like for example, you say width, height, right? And the value, the, the, a value that is uh, matching the, the type of that rule. So for example, it could be in pixels or it could be just, uh, for example, a hex color or an actual color name, right? And uh, one last thing that I like to mention about these before we jump in is that uh, we have the selector, right? That's a key, a keyword, right? Selector. So selector is just uh, the, 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 the element of the rule, like you are defining a rule through a selector and that helps you pick what element you want to style or what group of elements. And one more thing, um, there, there's something called add rules, right? So add rules uh, is just these uh, add statements, right? That, they, that you see in CSS, like for example, add import, add font, uh, add, uh, add um, media, that was that the media queries, right? So those are add rules or add rule statements. And those are like the foundational things you need to know. Please go and research everything you can about them. So then all these do's and don'ts will make more sense as we dive in. Um, and yeah, so let's just start, Jerry. What's the first do and don't? Yeah, so, so the first uh, do not, the first don't would be to, you know, Juan mentioned CSS selectors. 
Well, there's a variety of different CSS selectors out there. You know, just to name off a few, there's class selectors, ID selectors, element selectors, pseudo selectors, um, lots of different selectors to choose from. However, there's only really one type of selector you really want to use. And the reason for this is that we, for, to, to get to the don't, we don't want to use a CSS selector of too high of specificity. Specificity, so, yeah. What? Okay, that's an interesting word, and that comes up a lot in interviews, right? Especially for junior openings, they, they, people ask, what is the specificity? So Jared, what, what, what's the specificity now that you mentioned it? So specificity is essentially an order of, of precedence of if you have you know, one selector that has a certain level of specificity and another selector, a different type of selector that has a different level of specificity, the higher level one is going to take precedence and overwrite it. So an, an example of this is uh, an ID selector. It has a higher specificity than like an element selector. You know, so if you have both of those in line, and even if you have the ID or have the ID one before the element one, the ID one is always going to override that. Now, the, the actual selector you will generally use, so if you want to talk about the do in this case, is you always want to use basically CSS class selectors for all of your elements. Okay, yeah, that makes like that makes sense. Yeah, so so because because of the different specificities, right? To keep things consistent and uniform as uh, your application scales and grows, right? You don't want to have these chaos because uh, of classes and other selectors fighting each other, right? Or maybe you have issues and you have to start using important and other things, right? That we're going to talk about. So yeah, the specificity very important. And yes, using just classes and just to clarify, the class selector is just that selector that starts with a dot. And the ID selector is a selector that starts with the pound sign. So you don't want to use the pound sign IDs. So really IDs, right? You never want to use them for CSS. You want to use them for JavaScript. Uh, when you have JavaScript or you have labels and forms, right? And, and, and the class selectors use uh, the ones with the dot. You want to style all, everything. You want to define all your selectors just with classes. That's a good uh, do don't, right? Like do use uh, class selectors, don't use ID selectors or other type of selector. I mean, don't use ID selectors. That would yeah. Be they want. So, Juan, so Juan, what are some other, uh, you know, ways that people might style their application with selectors of too high of specificity? What are some of the yeah. other items that we want so, to avoid? Pro tip, um, uh, when we listen for, for our audience, right? Uh, Google something called, something I use that I like using Google, uh, a specificity calculator. So in that one, you will find many of them, just open one and type, for example, type a class with some rule like class and then the name of the class and then the width and some width and then create another class and for example, use an ID. And then that calculator is going to explain how the specificity is calculated. There's three uh, bits, three bytes, like three numbers there. Like, and it's one zeros, one or zero, right? One zero zero is higher, right? So, so it shows you how to calculate. There's a, there's a whole thing. Like, I mean, I don't have it all memorized or everything. You don't have to memorize it, but it's good to know like when you have, for example, an attribute, right? It's a higher specificity, right? Versus a class. So things that uh, we, we commonly use in CSS is uh, attribute styles. Those we do want to use uh, because usually they help you group elements. So CSS is about grouping and styling. So you can group, for example, instead of having to put the class in three 
places you can use an attribute, right? Or you can use a class uh, that, um, that, that, that contains another class. But that leads me to the don't, which is uh, usually you do not want to style native elements for two reasons. One, what you mentioned, Jared, the specificity is too high traditionally, and then overriding that becomes more cumbersome because you have to start combining like, okay, let's add an attribute and a class to increase the specificity or let's include the element with an attribute, with a class, with that, you know? So it's just it's like becoming very messy and that's reflected in the, in the code. Um, so really like you don't want to style native elements when possible. Ideally, you can just always put a, a class, but yeah, you, you want to minimize or try to avoid that always. Like, don't be lazy define a class uh because that's usually goes down i, te I tease my teams but they usually tell them like hey this is lazy that you are not defining a class you define it and yeah oh but i have to put it in all the links okay good do it right unless it's like because usually like for example if you're using bootstrap or something else like they're usually going to target those native elements for you you don't want to conflict with that you want to be explicit and i, I and you gotta be declarative right so declarative you open this the markup there's no magic. You see that the link has a class. You can Google, you can search in your ID that class and you find the rules that are applying uh, on that selector that you created. So that's why declarative is better. You don't want magic. That's why we avoid styling native uh, elements. Yeah, no, I complete, completely agree. Uh, one bit to add to when you are naming your, your CSS classes, you know, like Juan is saying, be very declarative. So, you know, you could give a class of perhaps a very generic name, but why not be just a little bit more specific to make it really clear that that element is what's being selected. You know, there are instances if you're working in legacy software where if you use a generic enough, uh, you know, CSS class name, it very well could get overwritten by some global CSS that's being, that, that's taking um, place either lower down or has a higher specificity due to some the, the way the CSS is arranged. And yeah, because CSS is like this behemoth that kind of grows, if you will. So it's really important to be building on, you know, good practices, good, clear code uh, when it comes to CSS. Yeah, and CSS, I mean, just to remark the importance, like why are we talking about CSS, right? If you don't have CSS, your page is not, your application is not gonna look good, right? Uh, most likely. So you gotta use CSS. And if you don't use CSS directly, you're probably importing a library that is using CSS. So CSS is one of the core things that use as important as knowing HTML and JavaScript in 2020. You wanna be the best engineer on your team? You gotta really dominate and know your CSS because that's gonna, uh, especially if you're doing a little front end, right? Or full stack, you gotta know your CSS. So, so yeah. that's why it's important. So Jared, um, next do or don't, like what? what, what yeah, so share? the next, the next uh, I'm gonna start with the do in this case is you, and you're just kind of leading into from our, our previous topic, we do want to have a, a solid understanding of CSS. And that needs to take place both through research of reading online, but it also needs to take place in, in practice. So again, if you're using just VS Code or Stacklets or whatever, you know, a code pen, you know, play around with CSS. You know, when you're, you know, try building out different elements uh, try replicating how to build certain uh, components like modals or what have you in in these little applications so that you can begin to really gain understanding of how the CSS is working, how different selectors work, how different specificity works. Um, and I say this because, you know, one, one term that Juan has used before is building on a lie. And the same thing happens here in CSS. If you're, you know, maybe you get something to work in CSS where you've got your elements to be positioned right or whatever, 
But let's say you need to change something. Well, what happens when you change something and you have bad CSS? Well, everything's going to like start moving around and be, you know, messed up. Whereas if you had a greater understanding and greater practice of CSS, you're going to know exactly what to do to change it, the CSS or, and or the HTML structure to get what you're looking for. Uh, so that, that would be the, 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 that the do not is don't build on a lie and the do is to understand it. Um, That's really good. That's really good. And that, that leads me to uh, the, the next one, which is uh, um, like, I mean, it's related to that, like the understanding, right? So there's two, there's two things that are related. One thing that like the, the do, I would say in 2020, uh, you want to normalize how you write your CSS. And by normalization, I mean, for example, uh, you want to define um, uh, a style guide for your CSS or for your SAS, because most likely you're using SAS or a style or some sort of preprocessor for CSS. So you have like a richer syntax, but you want to normalize it because if you have other people working on it, a, big a bigger team, right? Um, you want to make sure that everything is consistent. So practices to normalize that, uh, learn. Uh, for example, I always like that everybody learns about uh, I always ask to, to to my teams that or my students like learn about uh, object oriented CSS OO CSS right and this is this this methodology about creating these composable reusable classes where you can instead of defining one class let's say button and you define the button and the color and the color is blue right you define one class called button and then another one called blue and then you combine them now it's composable and it's scalable and that uh in 2020 became so popular with, uh, well, it's been, this, this been around for several years, but like Tailwind CSS, right? It's based on utility classes, right? And utility classes is really uh, grabbing, uh, of course, more granular uh, object-oriented CSS, but it's really that concept of composable classes. So that means like you reduce the amount of CSS classes you have to write, like one for a red button, one for a blue button. No, you just write blue, red, button and then you compose them you combine them in the markup when you consume them so uh the style guide right object-oriented css maybe learned a little bit about bam but this depends if you are using encapsulation for your css and 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 that part of the style guide right uh so so if you define right you do normalize they do you do normalize how you write css these elements will help you normalize better and uh, one more thing on that is that uh minimize the global css you write so don't start like adding just one synthesis file and just writing everything in it right and then uh so part of that normalization you define how the css should be structured maybe every page has its, uh, has its own file or each component depending on what you're using here we're keeping it agnostic but that's uh my my do right my do is do normalize your css right learning all these things i mentioned uh don't uh use right as you go without like you know a, a set uh set of rules that normalize how css should be written because there's so many ways to do it there's no like a right or wrong right so you want to normalize it be consistent be opinionated yeah, absolutely. Can't, can't agree more. Yeah, I highly recommend students go and like Juan said, go look up Tailwind CSS or I mean, there's also a handful of other uh, utility CSS classes out there as well, but understand them and, and realize what they're doing. I mean, they're really not doing anything particularly fancy. They just have a bunch they you know, they basically just written a whole bunch of CSS classes that they put together that you could then just import and then start utilizing on your element. And, it, so. and it's, it's so popular like that, those like utility classes now. They're called utility classes. That's the fancy name, right? But that's just how you're going to CSS more granular, right? So Jared, I'm just going to go ahead and share our tweeters. Um, let me just go and go ahead and share here. And uh, so anybody listening out there, you can follow, follow me at Twitter, uh, at twitter.com uh, forward slash Juan Lizarazo G. That's spelled J-U-N. 
L J U A N L I sorry J U A N L I Z A R A Z O G. Whatever platform you're listening this on, we're putting links to our Twitter so you don't have to type uh, my crazy last name, right? And uh, yeah, just follow us, get in touch, uh, ask us questions, DM, right? And and uh, and we'll help you out. We'll 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 try to provide resources. Uh, this week I provided some resources for one student that wrote out, so that's really cool because you can help and make an impact. Uh, and yeah, follow Jared too. Yeah, you guys can find me at twitter.com forward slash Jared Potter. That's spelled J-A-R-E-D-P-O-T-T-E-R. And yeah, always feel free to reach out, say hello, tell me what you're working on. And if you have a question, I'd be happy to answer it both for you and for the rest of my Twitter audience. Yeah. So um, yeah, and whatever platform you're listening this on or watching this on, subscribe, follow, right? Give us a review, give us a star. I mean, whatever, that, that helps uh, increase our, our reach so then more people can benefit from these. We're trying to close the gap, right, between graduation and landing your first job, right? So perfect. So Jared, what's the next do or don't? Yeah, so, so the next uh, do and don't is to uh, don't use... CSS floats. So CSS floats have been around for a long time and it used to be the primary way that you would essentially tell content to go to the right side of the screen or go to the left side of the screen. Now, just to be clear, in CSS, there's lots of different ways to do the same thing. Uh, but this was kind of the common way if you needed to shift a bunch of content to the left or the right. However, there, something came out called Flexbox. And as soon as Flexbox came out, it got rid of the need to use floats. So if you haven't already played around with Flexbox or gotten really familiar with it, I highly suggest that you do become familiar with it. Um, it gives you a lot of control with just a couple of selectors. Uh, there are like lots of CSS selectors for Flexbox, but you really only, I probably only use a core, probably six or eight of them in day-to-day -day use. So highly recommend going and using Flexbox uh, instead of Floats. What's your take on that, Juan? I'm actually curious. Yeah, so Flexbox, uh, I remember that came out like in like over 10 years ago, but of course when something comes out, it takes four to five years to vendors, right? To, for example, Safari, uh, Chrome, right? To actually implement it, right? I mean, many, many browsers are, they're evergreen browsers. They're, they're really good at it and they just implement things fast, right? But as things are normalized, so I remember when it came out and I couldn't really use it, right? Then it was like 2015 and I was like, okay, I want to use it, but it's still I can't, right? So because there's, uh, I had to use like these polyfills and things and still use the display blocks. So from my box model, I had to use blocks, right? And floats, right? But then now that Flexbox is 2020, right 2020 you should be using just flexbox right it's supported by even i11 like some basic things uh that like most likely for for positioning that you will use so so it's very powerful but yeah there's um google so this is a pro tip here this is what helped me learn flexbox there's this google game google uh the this flexbox uh frog game and there's a little frog that teaches you flex but you have to do flexbox stuff to move the I, th I don't remember if to, is to get the, the frog across or to, to do something with a frog. It's like a game. So I did that so many years ago, but you Google that and that helps you learn Flexbox and then you, you got to master it. You got to master, master it in 2020. You will be able to position things uh, the way you need to, to match the specification provided by you, your, your UX designer or whatever you want to match or build for your, you know, for your customers. So Flexbox for definitely the way to go in 2020. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you got, I like what Juan was saying, if you, if you Google like CSS Flexbox games, there's a whole bunch of different challenges and games that make learning CSS Flexbox uh, really fun. So definitely my, take a look. My favorite, my favorite part of CSS Flexbox, and this was a pain back in 2000, like, like 10 years ago, was 
vertical centering. Anybody doing CSS knows that centering something vertically is such a pain and so hard, right? It's really hard, something's impossible to accomplish without JavaScript or without invisible divs and hacks and percentages, it's not perfect. Flexbox solves that really easy, really easy. Uh, and also, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really fun to work with it. Yeah, one, one thing I would like to add, and this is kind of going back a little bit to understanding CSS is that when you put HTML elements on the page, they're either gonna be a block element or an inline element. And understanding what the difference between those two are and being able to practice with them is gonna be crucial. So when you do start using Flexbox, you know like basically how they're going to, to react to that situation. So making sure you understand that side of the HTML is gonna be very helpful. Perfect. Perfect. No, that's really good, Jared. So the next one I want to mention is uh, really uh, uh, do use a preprocessor, right? In 2020, you should not be writing pure CSS. The reason is because pure CSS has some fallbacks, right? And a preprocessor can help you, for example, next classes, and it will figure out for your CSS how those classes should be established. So instead, like having the hierarchy, for example, instead of having like some class space, another class space, some other selector, right? Uh, it will figure out for you, it will let you do more reusable things. So it's about reusability, readability, right? In maintainability, so it makes things maintainable. So in 2020, you should be using a preprocessor. And, and, and the, the, the reason why that is so important is because it will help you, besides all that things, all those benefits and more benefits that I didn't even mention, is that it will help you with vendor prefixes. So in 2020, you should be using vendor prefixes because the different vendors approach the CSS differently, but you don't want to write five lines for the five different vendors, like, okay, WebKit and all these other ones and Mozilla, right? Because it's a, it's a lot of repetitive code and you don't, you don't really know that. So you can use something like Post CSS connected to your preprocessor, to your bundling, right? Or you can use something like Parcel that provides that out of the box, right? And 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 but really it goes down to use a preprocessor. Use SAS, use less, use stylus. Those are the most popular in 2020. Use one of those, stick with it. Don't write pure CSS. So don't write pure CSS. Do use a preprocessor. Yeah, and if you're using something like, you know, one of the common frameworks out there they're going to have that more or less built in or make it really easy to add that in to your, to your project. So it just is part of your compilation process. Yeah. Yeah. You can like with Angular, you, you select what, if you want to use one of those or just pure CSS, right? Uh, view. Uh, I mean, I, I know that it has also built in preprocessors configured for you with React. I mean, React is more a library, but it's so, it's so powerful that you can configure it, right? Uh, and if you use, for example, create React app, you can configure it to also have uh, the, the CSS, uh, the SAS capability, right? Just having the, the, um, the, the configuration for your webpack uh, bundler uh, and, it, and it comes like all out of the out of the box so so yeah definitely that's a good one Jared. yeah in 2020 yeah. using frameworks it comes all configured definitely uh, the next kind of do that I think many students should be aware of is to do make sure that you're using that you're building your site to be a responsive site uh, mobile friendly site so what that means is using either and or media queries and or uh, CSS grid to be able to manage what does your site look like on a particular device. In 2020, a significant number of you know, web page browsing happens on a phone. It doesn't happen on a laptop computer or a desktop computer. Your web apps that you're building, generally speaking, are gonna be consumed on, on a device. So you know, it's not for everyone, depends on what, you know, what 
type of software you're building. Some software is pretty much only designed for a desktop computer. Uh, but if it's more general use or general audience, then you're going to want to make sure that it is mobile uh, friendly. So the don't here is don't just ignore it and not <laughs> care about it and do actually consider it. So Yeah, and, and, and to, to make it use like uh, the default, use default to mobile first development, right? So mobile first, mobile, first, mobile first design. You start building just for the mobile first, right? And you will like the, the, like the, 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 the responsive group using the ad rule media, right? And you write that and, uh, and then you just are going to bigger screens. And then you're like, okay, you built it, got it to work. Now let's go to bigger screens. But if it is responsive, naturally it's just going to work. Then you adjust it so it looks better, right? And, but mobile first is really powerful in 2020 uh, for, for web-based uh, apps or progressive web apps that rely on CSS. So that's a really good one. Um, Jared, one very simple one that we cannot not mention, right? Which is don't use inline styles. Uh, 2020, this has been like the, the rule for like many years, 15 years or something, but don't use inline styles. Uh, this uh, just means that you have your element, your markup, your HTML, pretty much your HTML shouldn't have any CSS there in the element, right? Like the style attribute. Uh, it could have the, the, the style uh, tag or the link ref tag that's fine right in your header in your in your head right uh, but don't do it in line like uh, having a button style color because the specificity is too high it's really hard to override and then you'll have to use important right and let's say i have seen this code like uh multiple times and also with students and things is that having an inline style with important, that's the highest specificity you can have. And it just makes it really hard to override. Uh, you don't want that, right? So the only reason, the only, uh, and they do, right? Do use classes, right? Do separate your presentation from your document structure. So markup, HTML separate from your presentation, CSS, styling, theming, right? And uh, uh, the only time where you can use inline styles is when it's dynamic and you are, maybe computing some sort of element for some reason. For example, you have to define a height at runtime based on a user setting and there's no CSS pre-generated for that. That will be just the only acceptable time and inline style. And it's not really a native, native inline style. Most likely it's going to be a, a framework thing that you would use that would compute into an inline style. But that's the only time and it's not really CSS at that point that you're writing directly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you, you said it there, but there's the key word there. If you're in an interview and they're asking, Hey, why would you not do this? You know, part of the answer would be the specificity is too high. And then the other one is, you know, that Juan talked about separating it out, right? That, so the key term they're going to want to know there is separation of concerns, mm -hmm. right? You're separating the style concerns from the HTML concerns. From so, the document structure. And, and I mentioned the important, right? Do not use important. Like in 2020, do not use important. <laughs> like never yeah. use the 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 the, the uh, exclamation important in your CSS because that just turns it into the higher specificity you can have, right? It's just too high and you don't want to do that. And then when you have important over important, right? Cascading, it just makes it too complicated. Don't use important. Uh, if you feel like you have to, you're maybe writing on top of a lie or you're doing it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one other thing, one more do here that I have is to... Uh, and this is related to kind of the mobile responsiveness is to do use a relative unit. So an example of a non-relative unit is going to be pixels. So we don't want to really use pixels anymore. Pixels don't mean as much as they 
used to mean in computers with such a diverse set of screen sizes as well as pixel densities on screens, pixels aren't a, a good way to go these days. So instead, you'll want to use some a, a relative unit instead. So there, the two main units out there that, that I see are RAM or relative element size uh, is a unit and then the EM, the uh, element size, right? Um, Correct me if I'm wrong on those one. Uh, yeah, so so the, the, the purpose of using relative units, it goes down to doing this thing called responsive typography. Uh, that's one of the main objectives. And that just means like, have you ever opened a website in your phone and then the text is so little, but then you open on the website and it's big. So responsive uh, typography takes care of that and usually it uses relative units. And this applies also to elements, width, height, everything, because the fonts have a, a higher density of uh, pixels per uh, inch, right, PPI, that... Uh, uh, that the pixel just turns like 10 pixels is the same in the phone, but the phone has had such a high resolution that it looks so little. So, so we want to be using EMs and REMs. So REMs uh, is use REM and Google everything you can. You know, here, like in this podcast, you have homework. You, you, you have to Google everything we mentioned. We just like expose you and throw you things to, for you to learn more and level up, right? But uh, the REMs, root EMs, right? So it depends on the root, which is the body and the HTML styling, right? So the relative to the font size to those. And the EM is relative to the parent, uh, right? So usually you will see modern frameworks, modern CSS libraries, um, uh, using EMs and RAMs or just RAMs, right? RAMs are usually easier because you don't depend in the parent. So if the parent defines something, the, the, the child doesn't change. So RAMs are really powerful, very easy to use, but there's cases where you really need to use EMs. So you will see them. Usually EMs, you, you want to EMs, you want to minimize them. But no, that's a really good one. And Jerry, I want to mention this one, which is um, like, uh, like, um, like in 2020, like, for, for CSS, um, you wanna be, um, you wanna you wanna apply like you wanna normalize your box model. This is very important when you start a project. Normalize your box model, and this just means like this could be a combination of applying a reset. So reset your HTML. You, I mean your CSS. You you can get CSS normalized classes out there that you can just apply or your friend will do it. But the reason for this is because this will help you also normalize the box model, which just means like you have an element and let's say you apply a padding, right? The element is gonna get bigger. Initially, it's gonna be really hard to like, I don't want that size. Let's say this happens, like you have an element you want a width or a hundred pixels, right? Let's say hundred pixels or, and then you do that width, but then you apply a padding of five pixels. Now the actual width is gonna be 110 pixels. So if you normalize the box model, Google this, normalize CSS box model, and you can find utility classes for that or some CSS resets, right? But you wanna do that before you start the project so you have the best experience when you're implementing things. And, uh, but yeah, Jerry, do you have one more before we, we wrap this up? No, I think that's, that's pretty succinct there. Perfect. Okay. So yeah, let's wrap this up. Let's do the recap since we're out of time now. Uh, so the do's and don'ts we covered, right? So yeah, Jared. So, so yeah, we said to uh, don't use selectors of too high of specificity. Instead, you should use CSS class selectors. Um, with those class selectors, make sure that you're being consistent with the naming of those classes. Uh, we also want to make sure that we have a good understanding of CSS and with practicing it and researching it so that we're not building on lies as we are building our CSS. And then when something changes, it completely messes it up. Uh, we want to use relative elements rather than pixels. Uh, we want to be able to 
uh, use Flexbox, CSS Grid, media queries uh, instead of it, you know, using floats or other statically set uh, items. Um, what else? We do not want to use inline styles. <laughs> we do not want to use important. Yeah. Um, again, we're just going to use CSS classes. Um, you what else? Write, you want to write composable classes, so learn object-oriented CSS. You want to use utility classes. You want to use a preprocessor, right, to use. You want to use uh, vendor prefixes, right? So the processor will help you with that. Uh, you want to most likely use uh, some normalization uh, style, like a CSS reset, Google CSS reset. You want to normalize your box model, and, uh, and, I, and you do not want to use IDs. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, yeah, and you want to, of course, go and um, find play games to learn Flexbox, uh, go and find the specificity calculator, right? Go and learn about those CSS uh, rules I mentioned, the uh, cascading, you want to learn that. And, and yeah, but I think that covers everything, Jared. So yeah, today was really good and it was really fun. This is episode number 10. So now we're a real podcast here. It's awesome. So yeah, so thank you for joining us this week in this episode of uh, Dev Bootcamp Live. Uh, uh, this was uh, Juan Iserazo. And this was Jared Potter. Uh, thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. See you later. Bye.